select Ross Blacklock. Ross Blacklock there for the sack. TCU Ross Blacklock. Jonathan Grenard, linebacker, Florida. Jonathan Grenard came off the edge untouched. And they have drafted Charlie Heck, an offensive tackle out of North Carolina. With the 141st overall pick, Penn State cornerback John B. I make a play, special teams. And I've got it for you. Isaiah Coulter. Isaiah Coulter, a new Houston Texan. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up for What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And we're just over 10 days away from the draft in. Cleveland, the LA Rams have got a house on the hill and the Texans haven't got any picks, but we're going to try and work it out again this week in a later round, Gems, and we've got Lee Wakefield from the full 10-yard college branch. Lee, how are you doing? Very good, mate. Very good. Thank you for having me. It's always good to talk about the draft. Well, so yeah, I think, you know, of all the, of all the, of all the stuff that's gone on in the last few years with the Texans, I think the one big thing, or the, the big thing we're missing from last year, despite the seasons just slowly fading out into into nothing was the fact that you couldn't even look forward to that top or that top three pick that would have been ours gets bounced around a lot um, and it's that Tunsil pick's been turned into a hell of a lot yeah. and probably shows you the value of draft picks. Um, Nick Casario was in front of the media last week. He seems unconcerned by it. He called it. A fifty-fifty gamble. How how representative do you think that is, um, particularly from sixty-seven onwards? What is in the how how much do the the value of those picks hold in the later rounds? Or yeah, how likely they're about to pan out? And you need to call that a fifty a fifty-fifty. Well, I mean, bet, really. to be honest with you guys, I guess one advantage for you guys is that you have known for quite a long time that you're not going to have any early picks, so you've been able to put all your scouting resources into these later guys, unless you're going to swing a trade and go back up. You know, I know you've got a quarterback there that's in the in the vogue of a lot of people and in um, the eyes of a lot of people is a tradable asset, especially with uh, some things that you probably don't want to discuss that have been going on recently. But, you know, if you guys are just going to sit there late day two, day three, you'd be able to put a lot of resources into it. So hopefully instead of spreading your time and effort to scout a lot of early guys, you're going to be sticking with the guys in the later rounds and you'll have some good information on all these guys. I know the process has been a little bit different this year because of COVID and everything else and having to do things virtually, just like we're doing now with this podcast, you know. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it, where it's it's always difficult to get it right in the draft. And a team like Houston definitely need to kind of turn up and they need to get some good players and kind of reload and refix what they're going to do and kind of come again after. It's kind of a new new era, isn't it? You know, we've no JJ Watt anymore and a couple of other guys who've left quite recently. And it's kind of, you know, time to find the new breed and the new era of Houston Texans football. And that's what Casero will hopefully be doing this year. Well, it is. I think that there is some carryover, and there is a lot. Of, there's probably a lot of frustration on my end, and I suppose the, the topics around Watson is um, first time I've written about that. Put an article out on uh, podcasttexas.com today. Go and read it if you haven't already checked it out. Trying to d- focus on the draft as much as the the sideshow off the field is distracted. In terms of Casario coming in, lean, and in terms of your knowledge and what he's done previously or what we think he's done. Obviously, I think the big knock was that uh, Belichick would rely on his relationships with coaches and per- perhaps 
evade some of the uh, the input from the, the personnel department. But in terms of the type of players and in terms of the type of characteristics they they've, they've valued or shown a value to, and obviously Casario is going to be his own man, but mm. is there anything that we can learn from, from the Patriots drafts? I mean, the Patriots are one of a handful of teams, aren't they, that they would, I would say they do it their own way. You know, they don't draft in a way that you would see the conventional teams draft. I, I'd club them in with Seattle as another team that does this. You know, we see it's kind of become a running joke, hasn't it, that Seattle in the first round will always pick a, feet, a, a player from left field, maybe from like the day three range that no one has down. And to a degree, the Patriots do that and they draft really well for their system. They don't mind taking someone who, someone like me or you or someone even in the mainstream media or in, you know, over in the States will say is a quote-unquote reach. But they draft really well for their team. They get good blue-collar football guys who work really hard, know their role. And obviously that's the Patriots thing, isn't it? You know, do your role, do your job. And, you know, if you can bring that over to the Texans, you know, it's going to be at least giving you a high floor in terms of the draft picks that you're going to take because you're going to have people who are going to work hard, play the system right, and if you're well coached and you do the system and you, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm thinking when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about the Indianapolis Colts defense over the last couple of years. It's never had a great deal of star power, you know, but it's got a lot of guys who play the system really well, play the system to their, the highest of their ability. And, you know, it was a bit of a positive for you guys. And I'm sure we'll come on to the defense a little bit later when we talk about the Texans. The Texans are going to run a pretty similar defense now under Lovey Smith. And that relies upon people being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, if you can get people who are used to doing that, you know, people who, like I say, are blue-collar, hard-working players, then you're going to get that. And that should be a good thing for you guys in your defense. You know, sprinkling a little bit of star power over the next couple of years. And, you know, I'm not going to say you're going to be back or anything like that, but, you know, you could be moving in the right direction for sure. Yeah, and I think that's, I suppose when I sent you the notes, the system was the, the aspect that, you know, probably a number of caveats right across both sides of the ball, do we know exactly how we're going to play? I think when Lovey Smith spoke last week in front of the media, I think many would have been concerned in some of his observations, and he said he couldn't run his off his defense against opposing office offenses at Illinois um, because it was it was you know, and he cited some reasons by you know teams going three by one sets, which I don't know how much tape he's watched in the last few number of years since he's been in college, but that's pretty pretty common in the pros as well. So I, I think there's definitely a bit of a concern there. I think the the holistic view or the, or the viewpoint that I think that you've kind of got to take, there's got to be a lend towards the system this year. But I think we've also got to look of a balance of getting players that maybe aren't too system-specific because they'll need to fit future coaching staff because this retrofitted coaching staff is, you know, bar a few, um, is uh, is is here for the temporary? So you know we've we've made some assumptions, but we think we're going in the right way. But one guy you are familiar with, and probably um, the only uh, quality kind of coaching candidate, did a great job with Justin Herbert. Obviously, made his name at Stanford, and then moved to the pros. Talking again, talking about Indianapolis in the division. What do you think of the Texans' incoming passing game coordinator slash QB coach? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Pep Hamilton. Like you say, the Chargers uh, coaching staff, again, pretty much like the Texans, has been a complete clear out. And I think the only guy who kind of left LA with a little bit of his reputation still intact out of that coaching staff was Pep Hamilton. As you mentioned, he did a fantastic job with Justin Herbert. He was almost, you know, I always know he's QB coach and there isn't that many QBs on the roster, but he was almost like a personal coach to Justin throughout the whole season. Every time you've seen it on the, the TV, 
Justin and Pep were talking, they were over an iPad, and when they were not on the field together, then they were discussing something, you know, and that had a massive development, um, you know, really massive positive development with Justin over the past year or so, or however long they were together. Um, you, we know that, you know, this time last year, Justin Herbert was not everyone's favourite, not everyone's cup of tea. You know, he was a big armed quarterback with a lot of physical tools that people didn't think had the mental game, the mental side of the game down. I think Pep had a big effect on that mental side of the game. I mean, we know Justin Herbert's an incredibly talent, intelligent young man, but I think Pep Hamilton made him harness that and allowed him to harness that and put that into football senses. And I think, yeah, I think he'll do a great job with Sean Watson. Obviously, Sean Watson's much more developed, much more in tune with the NFL. And, you know, he's also got a friend there in Tyrod Taylor, who's now your backup as well. So he's got a good confidant there. And obviously that was the quarterback that we were going to roll with early on in the season until week two. And obviously this famous um, anesthetic injection into Tyrod's ribs. Yeah, the the, the stab the stab lung that, that uh, cleared the way for Justin Herbert last year. And I think, I mean, I remember you and I talking about him last year and I was not convinced. I remember watching a couple of games in college at Oregon and, I mean, it was a reasonable, a reasonable array of, or cast or supporting cast he had, but he didn't necessarily look anywhere like the player he, he did. And I suppose that's probably one thing we've got to remember. All points of this is it's a projection of what somebody's production might look like at the next level, and it's difficult, you know, even right at the top end of the draft to predict that. And obviously, the Texans aren't there, and they might be there again next year with reinforced numbers, depending on. The Watson outcome, I think, let's be honest, there will be a suspension, if not a holdout for week one. So it's likely to be Tyrod Taylor. Is there a serviceable starting quarterback, mid-tier, scrapey to five or six wins kind of guy in there still at this stage of his career, do you think? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I mean, this time last year, obviously, we had we needed a quarterback. We knew Tyrod was on the roster. Fast forward a few weeks, we got Justin Herbert in and, you know, I was, I was a big fan of Justin Herbert coming out. I thought that he was a good quarterback. I thought he was a good uh, prospect. I thought he had a really high ceiling. Obviously, he's kind of proven that now. But I was really happy for Tyrod Taylor to begin. I'm not going to kind of shy away from that. Obviously, that sounds kind of ridiculous now, considering the the season that Herbert had. But I was actually pretty happy for Tyrod to go out and start and be the starter for the best part of the year. And I had, a, I had confidence in him to be able to go and get... You know, considering that the Chargers had a good supporting cast around him, maybe not the offensive line, but definitely the receiving weapons in the running game, on paper at least, I feel like I was happy for Tyrod to go out there and push towards you know 500, which obviously ended up being what the Chargers had as a record, uh, or similar to that, but obviously with a different quarterback. So yeah, I completely think that you know as a spot starter or even as someone who's going to start off the season for you, maybe the next four to six games, I think you know he's there, he's serviceable. Um, you know, there's some weapons in there in, in Houston. You've got a lot of bodies in in free agency. And obviously, you'll supplement that with the draft to kind of, uh, you know, make it a bit better of a situation for whoever's under centre. Yeah, and I think that that was Casario's plan. He's obviously, you know, as you see, continuous signed um, Lane Taylor last week. He'll come and compete for a guard spot. He's not played for two years. The same with Justin Brittle plays centre, I think. So there, there's definitely some uh, longer-term planning at various positions, regardless of who they've signed in free agency this year, to, to take, you know, to any point of the roster, I think, is open for selection at any point across the eight picks. Whether we trade back or not, that will be remain to be seen. I think that's quite a quite a possibility, but I think sixty seven only garners so much capital back. Maybe get an extra extra fourth in there. But um, in terms of in terms of uh, prospects, Lee, how do you, how do you see the whole 
process working this year? Because I, I've heard a number of times now in the last couple of weeks that people are just saying, I'm not even quite sure who's declared this year. The process has been so convoluted. You've got spring ball playing. You've got guys that are going to go straight back into the into the, the, the standard cycle um, in the fall and are going to play a lot of football and effectively trying to make up for their lost year with COVID. You've got guys who opted out. Um, you've, got get, you've got guys who you just don't have a year of tape on. There isn't the same level of measurables um, and a uniform level that you would have at the combine. And I've also seen the biggest overriding feature, particularly defensive tackle, but the overall number of players that have declared for this draft this year is about 30-40% down on your average pool of players. Um, there's roughly three, 400 players less declared for the draft. So is there a chance that it's going to be very top-heavy, not deep in overall quality, but just just generally not a draft to remember? And actually future years, if you were wanting to trade out of this year, might be a prudent move. Yeah, we have seen that. Haven't we? We've seen a lot of talk of that, of trading out players and also trading out draft picks for next year. You know, when you're going to have a bigger pool, more tape, more reliable, I'll say that with quite a bit of emphasis, uh, athletic testing numbers, considering that all the numbers have come from pro days and we've seen maybe some uh, some swayed numbers and some numbers that you have to take with a grain of salt or two. However, I do think that, like every draft, there are some deep positions and there are some less deep positions. You know, There are some really deep you know, positions groups in this draft class. I think wide receiver, I think cornerback, and I think offensive tackle and offensive line in general, I would say. Pretty deep, you know. At the top, at the top end, you get some really top quality players, but also through into the beginning of day three, maybe even the middle of day three, you're going to get some serviceable players who have a good NFL career. However, like you say, some positions are really lacking. They're really lacking that high end talent and also that depth as well. Defensive tackle that you mentioned is certainly one of them. I think someone who I can't remember the name of in the mainstream media over in the states actually said that it's the one of the worst defensive tackle classes ever seen. Uh, you know, just period. You know what I mean? So just if you're looking for a defensive tackle this year. It's not the one, especially if you've not got a first and second round pick. So, um, you know, you're going to have to be prudent with the way you're going to spend these picks. Like you say, you've got you've got a number of picks, but not in the early stages of the draft. So you're going to have to be prudent. Like say, maybe that extra scouting time that you're going to have to have done on day three might yield some real gems. And that's obviously what you guys are going to be hoping for. But it's one of those, isn't it, where it is going to be a more difficult draft cycle for everyone involved um, because of the conditions that it's been done under. Yeah, so we'll, we'll start off with the offensive side of the ball then. Um, so in turn, and as, as I put in the notes, I, I, I assume under Cully will be running power if he takes some of the concepts that they, they brought over um, in terms of a gap scheme, um, in terms of running the ball. It's what they ran predominantly at Baltimore. Um, James Camden, obviously, is a guy who's the, who's the offensive line coach who was a much-needed change and hopefully an upgrade versus Mike Devlin. I think the, the much maligned Devlin, with all the talent we had at that position, um, or in, across the front, starting five, invested a lot, did not see results. In terms of in terms of uh, Camden's style, or and his in his terms of his teaching, his philosophies, what do you think from the one year you saw him in LA? Do you think he he can bring here? And do you think the gap scheme is something he 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 prides himself on running, or do you think he's a bit more of a more of a hybrid guy? I think he can be a bit more of a hybrid guy. Obviously, he had a great deal of success in Green Bay with sort of bigger body rushers like Aaron Jones. He's not sort of pigeonholed to that. And then he's come over to LA for one year, although, you know, it's a small, small sample size. And we're running, we're not running with any power guys, really. You know, we're running with Austin Eckler as our number one back, although he was injured again, unfortunately. But, you know, when you're designing an offense for Austin Eckler, 
who is going to be backed up by Justin Jackson. You've got two guys there that are really shifty, good with their hands, uh, you know, great lateral movement. They're there not to run between the tackles, but to run around the tackles and take screens and, and uh, other short passes to, you know, to great effect. We did draft um, uh, Ryan Kelly. No, not Ryan Kelly. What's his name? Yeah, the guy for UCLA. Yeah, the UCLA guy. I can't think of his name. His yeah. first name, Kelly. Josh yeah. Kelly. Joshua yeah. Kelly. Sorry. Josh Kelly. That's the one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we obviously he's more of our power guy, but we drafted him in the fourth round. He was, you know, he was okay, but I think that he was a little bit of mix and match and things like that. So I do think he could be a versatile coach. But you know, just as like obviously he didn't last very long in LA, but at the same time he was revered as like a great hire this time last year, or in the you know the off season last year, and we did think that he was going to be you know, a real boon for that offensive line. It didn't work out because I don't think they had the talent on the offensive line, especially in the interior, which is why they've gone out and spent loads of free agency dollars on the interior offensive line. But, you know, there's re- there is some reasonable talent on this Houston offensive line. Obviously, you've got Larry Matunso, Marcus Cannon's coming over, Titus Howard, obviously, you drafted a couple of years ago. Um, maybe a couple of interior guys are needed, as we mentioned. But, you know, there's some pieces to work with, you know, that you picked up in free agency and that are already on the roster. So if we start with um, the interior line in terms of centre, predominantly right guard, but I think guys will be able to transfer either side. Is there any guys in this draft, do you think, in um, in the internal spots that the Texans could look at 67 onwards? So I've been I've highlighted a couple of guys who have got guard centre versatility because I feel like if you're drafting a guard centre interior and defensive lineman this late on in the draft, they need to have that versatility. You know, They're going to have a hard time sticking on the roster if you're coming in as a pure centre or a pure guard or you don't have any sort of versatility, whether that be guard tackle or guard centre, I feel like you'll need that. So one guy I've been pounding the table for um, a lot in this draft cycle is David Moore from Grambling State. You know, he's going to go quite late. He's going to be a day three guy um, because he plays at such a low level at Grambling State. You know, it's not a, a college that produces a great deal of NFL talent. He's a versatile player. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's quite short and stocky. Um, I think he weighs in at about 360. So he's quite a large guard, but he does have a fair bit of movability in him as well. So he can definitely get out in front, not too far. You know, he does have a, a short range, but he can certainly, like, you know, clear up some uh, some holes, you know, maybe at the second level. You know, if you're thinking of Philip Lindsay, who you've obviously brought in, and obviously David Johnson, who will hopefully be becoming a bit of a bounce back in a, I think, what I believe is a contract year, if I'm correct in saying that. David Moore really burst onto the scene with a lot of people because he had a great senior bowl. He was really stonewalling a lot of high-end prospects in Mobile at that event. And he's just a player that just, you know, there's not a great grambling tape around, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. From what I have seen of him, he's certainly a player that I would give consideration to maybe in the fourth or fifth round, as you guys are picking a few times in those rounds uh, and a bit later on as well. So if he's, he's hanging around, I'd definitely go up and grab him. Like I say, he's going to have a little bit of versatility where the camper wants to run a power or a gap scheme. And then the second guy that I have uh, sort of highlighted is Michael Manet from Penn State. He's also going to be another uh, late round guy, another versatile piece. Again, he's got power, but he's also got great hand fighting technique as well. I think he's got a little bit more to him um, in terms of pedigree than David Moore, obviously playing at Penn State, playing at you know premier school up there in the Big Ten. Uh, but he also was the number one guard in 2016's recruiting class at high school level. Um, so, yeah, I think in a phone box, I think he's going to bring a lot of leadership. He's going to bring a lot of uh, power. And he's going to be able to, like I say, be a great pass blocker and run blocker. He's also really experienced as well. So he played 35 games at Penn State over his college career. He's come out and as a senior. I think he was a captain for one year, if I remember rightly. And he anchored the center, he anchored the line at the center for Penn State. But he does 
you know, he will be able to play guard as well at the NFL level. So, you know, a couple of names there that I've kind of highlighted as, as day three guys who should be, you know, pretty decent value there. You know, guards, they're, they're never going to be these headline players apart from, you know, your, your real top guys. Um, and they, these guys will come in, they'll do a job, they'll stick on the roster. And, you know, like I say, they'll, they'll offer some versatility at a pinch if someone goes down injured. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think we, we want to be looking at guys who can come in and, and find spots, make the roster first and foremost, and then work their way into the into whether it be a rotation or whether it be finding finding their spot through injury or what have you. They, those are the kind of guys you want to get, and probably likely the only guys you're gonna you're gonna find this year. One thing it just flashed in my head: they're talking about the number of starts. It's a Parcells notoriety point on the draft that you you've got to take guys who who have got you know a number of years under college under their belt understand systems maybe gone through different coaches and have shown a continued ability to perform and i think in this year's draft as well i think if you're taking underclassmen you've got to be very very careful that they've got the right upside and physical traits to be able to project because if 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 you're just taking a a raw guy who's not got a lot of game time who should have stayed in college of all these years um, to, to come out, it's probably the least likely one to find success. And you fight, and you see that every year. The number of underclassmen going undrafted continues to rise every year. So I think, yeah, definitely the, the number of starts that guys have got is a big, big thing to watch out. And I think Casario um, and James Lipford and those kind of guys in the front office, Matt Bazigan, will be looking at that as a key stat for you because I think the only position we probably won't draft that you never know. Um, I think any positions up for grabs, but offensive tackle just due to that investment we've made there with Laramie Tunsil, the two picks. Then Titus Howard and we've brought Marcus Canover, who I think will will start at guard. But you know, Titus Howard can move in at guard. I hope he doesn't because it is a big possibility that he could stunt his growth and his development because he's still yet to play a full sixteen game season since getting out of Alabama State in twenty nineteen. So I think yeah, in terms of the offensive line, I like those guys. Lee, that's good. Some good names. For us, in terms of uh, wide receivers, um, said this to a number of people. Now we've we had a big body guy. We gave him away for not 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 too much. But I think if you look at the the roster, there is a need for big body perimeter wide receivers, guys who can go up and high point the high point the ball. People who can be weapons in the red zone. Is there any kind of guys you've got earmarked for later day picks that could be? In that mold, yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly a area of the Texans roster that is really lacking, isn't it? You know, you've got it looks like you've got a lot of slot guys, you've got a lot of speedy guys, but like you say, really, really missing this big body on the perimeter who, like you say, can go up in the red zone or go above someone and, and get you a vital third down. Obviously, you're picking third round and onwards, so we're going to be looking at guys who have got some warts. You know, we're not going to be looking for a perfect wide receiver. Um, just on that, you know, do you feel like the wide receiver will be the pick at sixty-seven, or are we looking a little bit later on before I kind of give you some names here? Uh, I think it, it could be. I think it's just going to it's going to matter who drops, and uh, if, I suppose if when you when you look at the shape of the depth of this class in terms of the way the big boards kind of fallen out, and there's a couple of trust, a couple that I think is, is manipulated by agents. Um, but there, but there's the. I mean, if you look at the, at the slot position, it seems to be deep, and I think if there's somebody going to fall. Um, t- to them that they've maybe got a you know a, a, an earlier mid second round grade falls to sixty seven. Mm. You've got to think it's going to be one of these slot guys, um, Elijah Moore, Kate Johnson, these type of guys that are going to fall. But I think the 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 outside is a need. Uh, whether that falls acutely at sixty seven, I don't know. I would suspect, considering the depth of the position, it's going to be a very much a, a sort of fourth 
if not, you know, one of those three picks in the six kind of kind of deal. Sure. Okay. So just if if one of these does drop, and this is kind of a dream scenario, I guess, if this is the direction that you guys choose to go, I think this guy's a second round player, but there is a chance obviously that he drops, didn't test amazingly well, although the kind of test that you look out for for of kind of linear outside X receiver were very good. And that's Diami Brown from North Carolina. Yeah. Like I said, I think he's a second round player. I think he'll be kind of lucky if he drops to 67. Although, you know, it's the start of the third round, isn't it? It's not exactly miles away from the the, the third, the, sorry, the second round. You know, he's very quick, 4.45, uh, 40 yard dash. He only runs routes off the vertical stem, really. Uh, not a great deal of kind of a lot of, I don't know, doable moves or anything like that or not routes that are really complex. But, you know, if you're looking at the Texans roster and what you've got on there, as we mentioned, we've got a lot of slot guys. You've got a lot of kind of speedy guys. And you're looking for that guy who can go up and get it. Jeremy Brown is kind of more, more dominant at the pass, uh, the catch point. He's, like I say, he runs off a vertical stem. He's got a lot of production at North Carolina over the past year or two. Obviously, when Sam Howell's come into the, the fray there, he's worked really well with him. And obviously, he's link, going to be linking up with either quarterback who we're going to be starting here, Deshaun Watson, obviously, an elite quarterback. And Tyrod Taylor's got an underrated deep ball as well. So, Jeremy Brown could definitely uh, be a player that will be linking up with him. If I'm going to kind of move on a little bit later on in down the draft, my kind of go-to big guy, typical big guy, you know, six foot four, two twenty pounds, is Nico Collins from Michigan. You know, he's got a lot of speed, doesn't have amazing hands, but I feel like you know he's got a four point four three forty yard dash time. Not the most agile, again, kind of the same mold as Jeremy Brown. Uh, I'm going to steal a phrase that one of my guys, Kieran, off the full ten yards, kind of coined the other week. He's a free trial version of DK Metcalf. You know, he's a big-bodied wide receiver. He can go down the field, he can go up and get it, and he's got lots of speed to take the top off as well, but with a bigger body. And then my last one that I kind of want to highlight to you guys, which will be a real big recommendation, another guy who I've kind of been pounding the table for over the past couple of weeks, is uh, a player that actually Lovey Smith might know from Illinois, and that's Josh Imotabebe, the wide receiver out of Illinois. An absolute athletic freak. Uh, he's only six foot two, so doesn't have that kind of... Uh, big bodied wide receiver body but what kind of sets him apart is he's got a 47 inch vertical jump so he's absolutely jumping out of the gym you know in his pro day and I think he uses advantage who uses that to his advantage excuse me quite a lot and he goes up and gets over people and you know if you match him up against a small slot guy or something like that in the red zone he's just going to be able to jump up and dunk on guys quite easily you know so I think one of those guys I think would be a great pick at 67 um, being Jeremy Brown and the other two guys would be a bit later on and if you are looking for a typical kind of big body guy, another kind of couple of names that will be kind of, you know, your sixth round, seventh round picks would be Tevon Grimes from Florida and Tamori and Terry from Florida State. They're your kind of, you know, prototypical big guy, six foot four and, uh, you know, big, big wingspan. Yeah, and I think that those are the kind of guys, the Damian Brown name actually I think is interesting because if you think a guy can flash in that way and a Mac Brown run heavy you got their two tailbacks are talking about maybe going in the first four rounds this year you think there's potentially more upside there than he's just been given the chance just by the volume of the running game um obviously Sam Howell is a potential name to watch in a year's time um I don't know but he's again not a big sample size Mitch Trubisky you know (laughs) (laughs) it's always the one echoes in everybody's (laughs) mind just as it does with a couple of the, the guys at the top there um, the tight end class isn't isn't something that people are hugely enamoured by. Would, would you echo that sentiment? Absolutely. Yeah, I was doing a podcast, um, another podcast on this sort of same thing. Well, me and the other guy were working through our positional top fives on offence, and we, we recorded that on Friday. 
and we really got to the top five and we, we were kind of trying to give out some sleepers and things like that. And neither of us could really come up with a great deal of sleepers with good value at this uh, this juncture, really. You know, this class is really top heavy. It's got obviously Cal Pitts, it's got Pat Frymuth, Brevin Jordan. These guys are all going to be off the table by 67. And after that, you are getting into some <laughs> names that you really are just throwing a dart at the dartboard, really, and, and hoping for the best. My kind of best sleeper who you might be able to get a little bit later on might be someone like Kenny Yeboa. He's just a pure athlete, kind of like a jumbo wide receiver. You're not going to get him in line. You're not going to get him blocking or anything like that. I think you guys already have that kind of player on your offense and on your roster, so I don't think you're going to be dipping in. Yeah, well, I think I don't know what your what your evaluation of Kahali Waring was coming out of San Diego State. He's a bit of an enigma, I think, on this roster. There'll be a there'll be a question of whether he can. He certainly is a physical specimen. Mm. I think the the criticism was that the information process and re- retention part of the playbook wasn't quite there. They did give him some looks towards the end of the season, but he didn't really come in and make an impact that you perhaps thought he would, considering he's been on the sideline for two years. In nine in the twenty nineteen back in the good days where you could do joint uh, scrimmages, <laughs> he uh, he absolutely walked over the Green Bay secondary, you know, and everybody was kind of. And had huge anticipation for his, his his output, but I think that he got injured. He took a concussion. He's been on the on the IR a number of times in the last two years for injuries that were suspect. I think, and uh, so I think they, they didn't want to lose him. Um, but I don't think he's he's been there to contribute. So hopefully he takes that sort of move tight end away. We've kind of obviously uh, brought over Ryan Izzo from New England, um, who's just a blocker, um, probably sort of sitting at the two sixty pound level. So he's going to just slot in right. At, as the extra tackle and uh, and jumbo sets, so yeah, I think yeah, tight end. I, I I would I would put it you know in the top two, or sorry the bottom two or three positions, if if we were going to, going to draft anybody in that. Now the Texans, as you said, have signed Philip Lindsay. They have signed. I don't know why Mark Ingram. We'll see what he's got <laughs> left, unless he's a bit of a culture a, a culture kind of driver for us. Um, and we've also got a number of incumbents, David Johnson, of course, as you said, in a, as a contract year. But um, why they kept him and increased his guaranteed money is, is an interesting one. But yet he is here again. I don't know if that was just a bit of uh, affirmation for the, the D-Hop move that continues to echo around. But he's still here. I, I still think on this, despite there being Buddy Howell um, and despite there being Scotty Phillips on the roster, who got chances last year and actually when they did get chances, looked good. But I think... Their places are up for grabs. Is there anybody that you think they could bring in at any point of this draft who could either be a three-down back and a runner between the tackles or even a, a catch, a catching out the backfield, sort of kind of third-down scat back? Duke Johnson was released mm. on yet to catch on with the team. Any any guys that kind of catch your eye they think might be applicable or just or just later round steals at that position. I'll go the same route as I did with Diami Brown and suggest a guy who has been falling at quite quite a hefty amount actually considering where he was standing was maybe this time last year and then I'll give you some late round uh, maybe gems in both those roles like a bigger guy and then more of a scat back uh, kind of name Tuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State you know huge production guy kind of an all round three down back um, he just seems to be falling through, through the floor right now I don't understand kind of where this is coming from obviously he's had injuries and things like that but his production is second to none almost at the college level you know he plays and he's been that offense, you know, basically on his own, barring a couple of other guys who've come through there. You know, we've got Tevin Jenkins, obviously, the offensive tackle, who's getting a lot of buzz now. And Juba Hubbard kind of, you know, loved running behind Tevin Jenkins. If you can get a, a guy like 
well, I mean, similar to in style as Jenkins and kind of let Tuba run behind him. I think he could be a real steal, especially at 67. You know, I think that would have been seen as an absolute bargain 12 months ago and beyond. So he'd be my guy to kind of to jump up and get, um, you know, run the card to the table, so to speak, if he kind of fell that far and you could take him at 67. And moving into the kind of the later rounds, if you're kind of looking for a, well, I've put it here in my notes, like a poor man's Mark Ingram, you're probably going to be able to fit uh, Jerry Dokes from Cincinnati in at the seventh round. I don't think you're going to need to pay a great deal of premium draft capital for him. I think he's been a really productive back again for Cincinnati, one of the darlings of college football last year, of course. And, you know, Jared Dokes got a lot of attention. He got a lot of touchdowns. He got a lot of, um, you know, kind of go in that offense. You know, he's got a lot of uh, uh, touches, I think over 200 touches last year. He's a big, powerful guy. And like I say, could be a poor man's Mark Ingram if you kind of just want to have a look at Ingram, you know, and see what you have there. If he doesn't kind of wow in training camp or in the early parts of the, the preseason, then maybe he can be let go and Jerry Dokes would come in and probably do a pretty similar role. You know, he's not going to have to be the, the main guy. And the other thing is he's got quite decent hands as well. If you're looking for a replacement for Duke Johnson, then maybe Puka Williams from Kansas. You know, he's pint-sized. He's a patient runner with good acceleration as well. So I feel like if you're going to play the zone system, this would fit quite nicely. But he's also got great hands. And I do think another guy who fits this mould as well would be Javian Hawkins from, from Louisville. So you've got a few names there that you could be looking out for. In terms of draft, sort of when you're going to get the guys who have talked there about the the, the scatback guys, the Puka Williams and Javian Hawkins, again, sixth, seventh round, you've got a bunch of picks in those ranges. You could get one, one of these guys for, for that range quite easily, I would say. Yeah, it, it's a position we've not really invested in since Deontay Foreman coming out of uh, UT in, what was that, 2017 now. So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult um, position that we've just not managed to get juice and get... And, uh, and get a fresh set of legs at it. I think any guy that we probably do take will be sitting there for a year behind the the incumbents and then be ready to to, to go in maybe twenty two. But it's certainly a name that uh, or a number of names there that's good you know to keep an eye on for for the process. It's a position that we probably never thought we would be discussing. I think this year. But is there any guys you think in this draft at the quarterback position that could potentially turn into the next Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott? You're going to get in the mid rounds. That just that just get to the the pros and ascend beyond what their college tape would suggest they would be able to do. I'm really going to disappoint you, and I'm going to say absolutely not. This quarterback class no. is pretty slim. You know, you've got the guys at the top, and obviously, I'm not going to talk too much about those guys. Everyone's kind of heard everything there is to say about like the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance, etc., and almost too much, you know, in some senses about a couple of those guys. Um, you know, a lot of poor takes and a lot of lazy takes coming out against Justin Fields in particular. I don't think there's many draftable quarterbacks after 67, if I'm going to be honest, if we're kind of keeping it Texan-centric, which we obviously will be on the pod. But if you're looking for a day three guy, if you want me to give you one name, you know, one name that is kind of similar in style, maybe to Tyler Taylor and Deshaun Watson. He's a senior, he's come out, he's got lots of experience. Is it maybe Ian Book from Notre Dame? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be a great pro. I think he's going to be a good professional. You know, I think he's going to be able to sit there, QB3, learn, Maybe take over from Tyrod when you know he goes. I don't know how long his contract is with you guys, but you know he's not going to he's yeah. not going to be there for a long time. He never really is, um, you know. And he might be a reasonable guy who can come in, play a start or so. He's quite clutch, you know. He comes up in the big moments for Notre Dame, but you know the basically the only reason I'm kind of spitting him out as a as a potential player is he's stylistically quite similar to Watson and Tyrod Taylor. You know, you don't want to do something like what Buffalo did last year. When they have a quarterback like Josh Allen, you know, this big, um, you know, 
bulldozer of a guy with a massive rocket arm and then they go and draft Jake from in the fifth round who's absolutely nothing like him. It just doesn't make sense to kind of build your roster in that way. But I do think Book is relatively similar to the two guys that you've got in there. And, you know, he's going to, like I say, be a good professional. He's going to be a little sponge when you come to the mental side of the game. And he might be a career backup and you might not have to worry about that position then for the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I, I, I watched the game. I think it was against Clemson when with the Clemson with the Trevor Lawrence was was out. Um, was that the previous year? I can't remember. Cool. No, they played, they played COVID, a couple. Of, they played a couple of times this year. They played once in the ACC and then once in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it was a playoff game that I watched. Yeah, and I don't. I, and I remember just kind of thinking, limited it was probably the overriding emotion of of him. And uh, I think, what did you think of Ryan Finley? We've obviously picked him up. What was your avowal of him coming out? Uh, <laughs> he was a very very weak armed quarterback. Was not a yeah. fan at all can't really push the ball down the field. And, you know, we mentioned it before, obviously Watson is a almost complete quarterback. Tyrod Taylor, as much as he's kind of limited, but he does have a great deep ball as well. So, you know, as much as Tyrod does get bashed a little bit for being kind of a game manager and things like that, he definitely can sling it down the field. Ryan Finley would not be able to cope in that offense. I don't think he's a great mental processor either, if I remember right, thinking back to my evaluation before he went to the Bengals. I'm, to be fair, I'm not one of these guys who really is a big kind of pound the table for a take a flyer on a QB. I think we're going back to Nick Casario, obviously Bill Belichick basically takes quarterback a year and just sees what he has. I think it's a complete waste of draft pick. I think you should only really draft a quarterback if they've firstly fallen or if they're really some guy who you think can win a Super Bowl, which obviously you're only going to get in the first round. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, you see the overdrafting of it. And remember that the 2019 draft, it was kind of the first time you could sit there and go, you just want to hope as many quarterbacks keep getting taken so the better players kind of fall to you um and and it, it's it's probably a good position to be in there's a certain teams at, up the top in the first sort of five or six detroit potentially miami if they move out they're going to have their pick of the best non-quarterback out there and guys are going to get overdrafted in front of them in the hope that they might you know they might develop into something at the next level but yeah again i think you, you'll see guys going up the top end mike jones and stuff uh, that uh, they probably don't warrant that. Would you? Would you agree with that? Would you? Would you say really? Or this is my kind of layman's assessment, Lee. But I, I, if just from the, the the stuff that I've pieced together so far, this off, and I've been really late this year in getting an understanding of this. Just didn't watch a huge amount of college football last year. Probably disillusioned with watching the Texans games. That was hard enough every Sunday. So you probably so the Saturday. Uh, this, the Saturday uh, term doing that as well probably didn't quite fit into the diary as much as you would have liked, but. There, there's obviously a, num- a number, an undisputed number one. There's probably a question of, I, th- I think you know, if you very limited, or there's very limited tape out there on on BYU, um, or 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 limited exposure. But he certainly he's cut, you know, he's been a late riser in the same way that that probably Baker Mayfield was, or you know, there, there's been a number of them guys that have just kind of come one year wonders. Um, so you've probably got questions on. Him, you've got Mac Jones, who perhaps a product to the system, um, and then you've got a guy in uh, Justin Fields who's bounced around, and he's 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 not necessarily um, he's not necessarily your your most kind of polished um, prospect, you know, if you compare him to Mac Jones. But he's got all the all the attributes, and he's played a lot of games, um, mm. so he's still getting better. His ceiling is still increasing. So, <clears throat> would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I would. I would. I would. Um, obviously, you know, we've known about Trevor Lawrence for the past five years since he was in high school, you know, on some level. And he's been kind of almost christened as the number one pick 
as he came into college, you know, for the, as soon as he becomes draft, draft eligible in, in this year, then he's going to be the number one pick. And he's kind of, you know, he's played that role and he's kind of lived up to it and he's he's not disappointed in any way, shape or form. I do think then there's a quite clear drop-off to the next tier containing Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. That, um, Zach Wilson's my QB3 for sure. I think Justin Fields has got the pedigree. He's got all the physical attributes to be a modern NFL quarterback. And he's also got more game tape out there at a higher level than Zach Wilson as well. So it kind of puts him above Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's highs, however, have been really, really high. And they've they've come, obviously, at the right time when he's become draft eligible. And it seems like the Jets are infatuated with him now enough to take him number two, no matter what. Then I think there's another tier drop-off as well to Trey Lance. And I think Trey Lance is, again, another sky-high um, sky ceiling prospect who has got all the physical tools, but you know he's only done it at this lower level. And then you've got a massive tear drop off to Matt Jones, who I think in any other year with um, a normal draft process, let's say, and maybe a bit more quarterback talent at the top and maybe a little bit more in the middle, which this draft severely lacks, I don't think you'd be talking about being a first-round quarterback at all. I think you alluded to people kind of pumping up the news that comes out and kind of leaking things like that. I have no idea where this talk of him going number three to San Francisco is. I don't know how you'd trade up for Matt Jones. I trust the guys who are running the show there at San Francisco. I think they're smart guys and I think they're good uh, executives and coaches. I don't see how they're you know, enamoured with this guy who, if he wore another jersey last year, he wouldn't be in this conversation at all, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you look at the, the guys he's thrown in, he's got two receivers that are going to go in the first round and, uh, and probably one or two offensive linemen at a minimum are going to go in the first two rounds as well. So... Yeah, so, so you've got to evaluate the situation just as much as probably the uh, the individual and the traits. But flipping over to the other side of the ball, the once infamous uh, Texas defense is no longer, and I think we saw that last year, 32nd against the run, 28th in DVOA. Um, just couldn't stop the bleeding at times, and it was tough to watch. So any defensive position, I think, would, would be a benefit. Again, we caveat this, but we, there's an assumption that this Lovey Smith defense maybe a year maybe two i uh, will get out before we move on to the kind of next era of it and this kind of holding pattern that we're probably in um as depressing as a prospect as that is but it's a cover two rolls to cover three kind of heavy zone four guys up front just lugging it forward the three but the three linebackers just drop into zone and just try and clog up the passing lanes for the short and intermediate stuff. That's their assumption anyway. So we'll try and go through some some draft prospects that uh that, that fit that. As you said, it's kind of similar to Eberflus's system, a guy who was a candidate for the Texans before he kinda I think bowed out due to the Watson situation. And you can't really blame him. So you never know in maybe a year's time he might still be on the cards. But um, in terms of guys up front, we've obviously brought in Shaq Lawson. Uh, we've got Charles who going into year three. It's probably, you know, Jacob Martin uh, is a guy um, that may or may not fit the scheme. He was a he was a 3-4 outside backer standing up, dropping the coverage. Will he be able to have the, the mass to, to go and rush on the edge on this? We'll, we'll wait and see. But in terms of just the gen, we've touched on defensive tackle being quite poor. Um, is there any guys that you think sort of mid to later rounds that have got that that kind of overlooked factor, maybe just not in the right system, etc., who've got an upside um, that potentially you could find a later round gem? And they do happen every so every few years is there guys in there that you can think can make a difference up front in this year's class yeah there's one in particular there's really one in particular if you want a bit of pass rush upside from the, the interior 
you know, I just want to go back to the Texans roster. I do think you've got a couple of pieces up here. I was a big fan of Ross Blacklock coming out a couple of years ago. No, it was just last year, actually, wasn't it? Just last year. Well, yeah, you'll need to find a way to get off the deck because that's where he spent most of his time. <laughs> and then I like Charles Menehu as well coming out of UT a couple of years ago as well. So I think you've got some guys there. You know, I don't think it's all lost. But my guy who's kind of we're looking at maybe in the late, so, well, the early part of days three, kind of in the later rounds, is um, Osa Adigazua from UCLA. We love him over yep. at the full 10 yards, especially Raj and Kieran, they're big, big fans. He's got long arms. So obviously that length inside is obviously really important, really in vogue at the moment. And he's also got a wrestling background. Um, so he understands leverage quite a lot. And I think he can out-leverage a lot of smaller interior um, uh, offensive linemen, you know, with the shorter arms that you kind of get stunted in there. Even some of these, you know, top tackle prospects that we've got coming out this year are being kind of shoved inside because they've got quote unquote short arms. You know, if we're looking at millimeters, this threshold is not met by. He himself is a is a small sort of shorter, squatter, lighter interior defensive lineman, but he's also got that quickness to be a problem inside and got this length as well. And like I say, he understands leverage because of this wrestling background. He's a good athlete, and I think because of his size, because he's slightly undersized, I think you can kick him outside on long and late downs. So if you're getting a little bit of a NASCAR package and you know a bit a lot of pass rushes on the field, he'd be your guy kind of push out there. So he's one that I really like a lot as well. I think you could get him in round four or so. I think he'd be a really good pickup for anyone in that range. But definitely with the Texans, I think you've got a many who kind of fits that role as well. And you kind of have them as being these versatile pieces um, on the kind of edges or even you know on the inside because I kind of know that he likes to switch in, in and outside as well. I know you kind of other kind of type of defensive lineman, excuse me, was the kind of bigger body kind of nose tackle. And there's a guy over at LSU, Tyler Shelvin, who is an enormous human being. I think he's going to absorb a lot of double teams in the early parts of his career. I don't think he's going to give you a great deal in sort of the passing game, but, you know, as you mentioned, run defense was not your strong suit at all last year. And I do think that Tyler Shelvin will help that because I think he can be a pretty elite run defender at the NFL level pretty early on in his career. Whether you know you can get him to develop some pass rush moves or things like that, whether he's got the quickness to do that, because like I say, he's absolutely enormous. I think he weighs in at about uh, two, sorry, three sixty. Um, but he's a people mover. You know, he can definitely get some push, and if he's ball rushing, and like I say, he's going to be an elite edge defender, uh, sorry, nose defender, really uh, run defender. So yeah, he's a he's a guy to look out for. You might need to spend that sixth or seventh pick on him because he is coming from that big school. He's got a lot of hype around him. But I do think, you know, as much as nose tackle isn't a great position to kind of maybe spend your premium and draft capital on, um, I do think he'll be a good value there and he will make your defence better because I think he'll clog up the running lanes and take up two bodies to kind of move him. Yeah, and uh, I think that the big school guys, I think often sometimes can get overlooked, you know, because they're maybe the 15th best player on the team. <laughs> but they've probably got a role at the next level. Um, here's a guy I might, might throw you if it does, but um, that I've got... Um, just in terms of some of the some of the guys you take a liking to, it's probably out of instinct more than anything else when you've not seen it. But uh, Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech, he's a bit of a tweener um, for the tape I've watched. He's sort of two eight four two eight five, so he's projected to be a three four defensive end rather than a four three. Um, but he's a guy that's been getting a bit of buzz and quite like you know, some of his tape. He looks explosive. I think he's he, he's a guy who could probably play a sort of three eye or be out on the edge. See, and, any thoughts on him? I think the, the word that you just used a moment ago, explosive, is the the word. He's going to be a problem in terms of athletic, you know, athletic um, sort of ball rushing and just kind of using his speed and power on the inside. I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of these bigger, slower, lumbering sort of interior offensive linemen that you get in the NFL. 
he, I think he's got really short arms, if I remember correctly, from his measurements, which could be a bit of a problem. Uh, but no, he's definitely a guy that's harboring like a lot of hype at the moment. Um, and his athletic testing's off the charts. I think if you guys um, who are listening go over to Mock Draftable and type in his spider diagram and have a look at him there, he yeah he goes into the 99th percentile, 98th percentile for quite a lot of the athletic testing for speed and power. So yeah, he's definitely a guy who is going to be one to watch on draft weekend for sure to see where he lands and see what system he lands in. Um, definitely an interesting player for sure as well. I think he'll get some early production just because he's going to be coming and he's going to wear people down. You know, if you're thinking about Tyler Shelvin, just going back to him, he's going to wear people down. If you have a big body like that, he's going to kind of wear him down, then you're going to unleash Milton Williams on these guys on late, long and late downs. I think he's going to be able to to do some magic there. So, yeah, no, definitely be one, for, one to watch out for. Yeah, in terms of in terms of the linebacker positions, then obviously you've got three varying skill sets across this kind of this archetype that we're trying to implement in this scheme. Is there any guys you think that can, it seems like a position that that's varied and it's difficult to draft for? And again, you're looking at traits and hoping mm. that that applies and delivers some upside. Is there any linebackers that are suitable for this four three? You think that could be an option? So I know you you sent me over some notes and you kind of told me about a little bit about the Texans and, and what you kind of guys are looking for. I kind of cheated on this one because I think in this linebacker class, I don't think you're going to get a great deal of kind of pass coverage in the late rounds. But there are a lot of safeties with kind of this hybrid mix of kind of this hybrid linebacker safety role. And one guy who I kind of noted down for this, who might be quite perfect in terms of his kind of run stuffing ability, but mixing that with some coverage ability, because obviously he's a, a bit of a safety as well. His hands in the Cyril Dean from Florida State. Probably going to need to take him with that six, seven pick, if not um, kind of maybe move up a little bit to go and get him at the end of the third. Not a linebacker as such as I mentioned, but he can certainly be used as this nickel, um, you know, big nickel hybrid safety linebacker. He's built like a creator player in Madden. You know, he's six foot, he's six foot three, he's just over 210 pounds. He's got a great range. He can run sideline and sideline. He's got really strong tackling ability. And I do think because it's like this Tampa 2, Lovey Smith defense, he'll fit in there with the coverage ability as well. Maybe as like a run and chase world linebacker if you kind of want to fit him in there or like you're saying, sub packages. He's coming off injuries, which obviously is a big, um, big red flag against him. He's coming off, I think he's had a couple of knee injuries in college and um, it's one of those things that is going to make him drop. Well, that could be, you know, someone else's um, detriment. And if you guys pick him up, you know, he could fill in that role quite nicely. And he also might be able to moonlight as a strong safety every now and then. I think you guys have got Lonnie Johnson on the depth chart right now um, as your strong safety. I think Nassir Dean will probably be able to fill in a little bit better if he kind of gets boxed in that role as well. I know you, can, I know you asked about linebackers, but kind of cheated on Yeah, no, I think... Well, no, I think it's changed, isn't it, right? And I think you, you you sub in, you know, one of those backers are going to going to be subbed out for a, a nickel or a, or a or a third safety, I think, to to, to develop in that sort of cover three look. So I think yeah, there's a there's there's definitely. I mean, the game's changing. I think, and as you said, you know, talking about the the types of wide receivers that are coming out, but the types of linebackers are are, are not really, you know, there isn't many guys that come out that can cover the pass well. And I think when you when you look at these four three systems that, that have worked well in the past, certainly I've seen or studied. Just watching the Texans film, if you go back to you know the Carolina game um, in 20, uh, nine, uh, 2019, yeah, against Luke Keekley and against Shaq, Shaq Thompson and, and those kind of guys, and you know they're just big, rangy guys, and they're you know you've got to get them early, I think, and that's that's they're, they're hard to come by. So if there's any kind of hybrid guys that can pick up and just 
and fulfill a role, I think, um, and have got have got lateral quickness that can that can that can chew up space quick and close the windows. I think that's the kind of guys we're looking for in terms of on the boundary or at nickel. I don't think either's ruled out. But is there any corners that you that you think might fall that have just kind of got the uh, the, the upside that they can take? It's not. There's very few, I think, beyond the second round, isn't there? Really, that that are immediate stars, but maybe some guys that are perhaps a bit of a project in there. You think they could could start to contribute, maybe a couple of years' time with a bit of development and coaching. Yeah, I mean, I like this cornerback class quite a lot. I think it's quite deep. Maybe you know, judging by what you've just said there, I do feel like maybe I've got a bit of a, a higher opinion of this cornerback class overall than than yourself. But I actually uh, we did a full ten yards family mock draft a couple of weeks ago, and actually picked for the Texans. Obviously, we just included kind of a kind of realistic pick for the Texans at the on the sixty seventh pick, and yeah, I went for Trill Williams out of Syracuse actually in that draft, and he's a player that really caught my eye because I'm looking at your your roster at the moment, and you've got quite a lot of small guys at corner. You know, Vernon Hargreaves. You've just signed obviously Des King, who's going to play exclusively as you know nickel corner. You've got Bradley Roby there, who's not over six foot either. Trill Williams is six foot three, like a proper six foot three guy. He's going to add some height. He's also can move as well. You know, he's a good athlete, and I do think um, you know he is more of a zone corner in terms of. I don't think his pattern matching and his man coverage is that good. So I think 30 minutes zone corner, let him have a little bit of things in front of him and let him use his size and speed to run with people, you know, in that zone and kind of match them up there. And I think Syracuse have had a bit of an underrated defensive back room, you know, with the likes of Andre Sisko and uh, the other corner, I can't remember the name of, Ifiatu Melafonwu as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, um, Is it not his brother that came out of UConn, went early right. and flopped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah went yeah. to the Patriots, I think. Or he's at the yeah, Patriots now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Trill Williams. Um, yeah, player that I think early-ish, you know, third round, maybe the early fourth thing will be there. Um, not the, you know, not this perfect sort of, like I say, number one day starter. Like I said, I've just named a couple of guys who are going to play in that role anyway. So you don't need a guy who's going to can be coming in and, and contribute immediately, but he's definitely going to be able to get out there, get on the field and should have a pretty high upside, especially because you don't get many corners that are built like this as well. Looking into the later rounds, a player that I really, really like, um, you know, again, not an athletic um, beast at all, and that's why he's going to be picked in, you know, the fifth, sixth round, is Dimodore Lenore from Oregon. He's just a football player. He's guy. This guy gets his hands on the football a lot. Um, he's got six career interceptions, 21 pass breakups, and a couple of forced fumbles as well across his career at Oregon. Um, they had a really exciting secondary as well coming into this year, but a bunch of the guys opted out, but he stayed and he came back, actually, after opting out originally. And he was the leader of that defense on, on the back end. And I think he really stepped up. You know, the Pac-12 didn't play a full season. But this guy showed he's got a knack to get his hands on the football, as I mentioned before. He's a great zone corner. Again, not great in man because he doesn't have the athletic ability to run with people down the field. But he's got great instincts. And like I say, he's a great football player. Just knows where to be, which I think you can't really teach. Do you know what I mean? It's one of these, I kind of give you two guys there with traits that you can't teach. One, True Williams being like height and speed and things like that. Lenore being just like knowing where to be and kind of an instinctual player. Yeah, I think that's it. I think the traits are going to probably weigh out in the later rounds, aren't they? Because you want someone to work with. And but I think again, we just need guys. And one thing that Lovey Smith has touched on in the off season has been finding ways to turn the ball over because the Texans and, and a lot of it is is locking it and, and it comes it comes in waves. Uh, but turnovers were just so hard to come by last year, and I think that was a big reason why in these close games we just didn't you just didn't manage to eke out a result. So definitely, guys, you can find the football and turn it back over to whoever it might be. I think you know, a, lot of, a lot of the draft talk and a lot of this offseason has seemed academical at times just with all the kind of 
overshadow of the Watson situation. Uh, but definitely some good prospects there to get your teeth into. Lee, thank you very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. What's your um, draft setup looking like over the weekend? I think from from my point of view, kind of looking forward to it just from a, a pure football distraction more than the the, uh, the the sort of courtroom drama that we're probably witnessing on a daily basis right now. We're trying to kind of stay away from, but it's... Uh, it dominates the headlines. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll be I'll be up on, on round one, obviously waiting for that 13th pick, obviously as a Chargers fan. And then just glued to my phone and glued to the TV for the rest of the weekend, just kind of seeing who's going everywhere. Obviously, as someone who's kind of looked at the draft from an evaluation point of view, you've got your guys, you know, you've got your favourites, you're kind of looking out for those guys, where they're going to stick, where they're going to kind of land, what the situation's going to be, do you think they're going to be you know, prosperous in that situation? And also, you know, looking at the charges as well, obviously, with my hat on, um, hoping that we get better, as every team is. But, yeah, it's going to be, obviously, a long weekend. It's uh, you know, it's a late one on the on the Friday morning for us guys, but one that you're kind of looking out for. And uh, looking forward to, you know, the next one straight away. You know, it's my Christmas almost, I always say. Yeah, I think so. And it's where front offices make their name, and it's where you start to balance out a roster. And that's hopefully the steps that uh, Nick Casario is going to take. But that was uh, Lee from the Food 10 Yards College team. Uh, thank you very much for Lee for his time. If you haven't checked out the article already um, around the Watson situation, how I think the Texans should handle it and how we think um, the, the whole situation came about um, rather in-depth piece going and probably levels that we didn't think we'd be writing or talking about uh, but here we are in off-season hopefully the draft is coming very close and the Texans can start to turn the page and be about football but thanks again for Lee for his time if you haven't already checked out the article please do um, and we'll be back next week talking a bit more draft um, just in the days running up to it. But uh, if you've not been already, check us out at podcastdexans.com, at podcastdexans on Twitter, and now recently added on Instagram. Check it out. And thanks again for listening.